Well, good morning, Harvest. Uh, three things I want to begin with. Sometimes you just have to wear a Christmas gift that you are given. And uh, so today I am. I have never, uh, never preached in a hoodie before, but uh, here we go. I don't know if I'm going to get too hot and take it off, but it's, uh, it's perfect for today. Enjoy the journey, it says underneath it. And uh, that's much of what today is about. So sometimes you just got to do things. Uh, thanks, babe, for the hoodie. Love it. <clears throat> Secondly, um, a few weeks ago, I made mention that today we we're going to be giving out, as we kind of do each year, give out a, a 2008 budget summary. Um, I'm having us put that on hold here for another week or some weeks. Uh, actually, here, uh, we have that all together. That's all in place. We're functioning under that. Um, it's just that uh, uh, as I've had some time off here, there's some things I'm just thinking about and the Lord's just pressing on me uh, with it and I want to be able to have some time to talk with the elders and pastors about it some more and uh, doing that and it's all good stuff. I mean, good, good stuff. Um, so I just want for you to know that that'll be coming here soon and just kind of the third part with that is praise the Lord and just thank you for your giving. Uh, your giving has been just stunning um, over the last years, you always have been a giving church in so many ways, and uh, it's actually such a point to where it's caused me to pause and cause us to rethink even some of the things we're doing and in, in, uh, how our aggressiveness towards some opportunities. So uh, thank you for that. The Lord is good. The Lord is good, and uh, we'll uh, trust him for what he has for us. Well, today we're in Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is right in the center of your Bible. This is the final psalm in our whole psalm series. We've done fall into the psalms. We've done Christmas into psalms. So, hey, why not start out New Year in the psalms, right? So we're going to begin there with that. Um, you can uh, uh, see this picture on the screen here. I'd like for you to consider this uh, man and this woman walking down this road in the fog. They can't see too far ahead. Uh, this is not a marriage conference today. This is not a dating conference today. I don't want for you to have that as the image in your mind. Uh, They're just representing kind of a whole, a whole of something, yet unique parts and pieces of that. And uh, that'll make a little bit more sense as we move along, but just kind of keep that picture in mind here. Um, I forgot to mention uh, with this as well as Pastor Eric's going to be filling in next week as uh, myself and Karen and uh, Pastor Nate and uh, Amy are going to be down in Haiti next Sunday. And also, uh, we're going to be starting a brand new series after this psalm series here. Uh, this is who we are. This is what we do. It's going to be a lead-in uh, into March where we have our 10-year anniversary. Booyah. Wow. 10 years. Um, and we're excited about that. So here we are. Uh, sorry, step in, step out there. Uh, we're in Psalm 118, right? Okay, Psalm 118, we walk into a new year, and um, the question always is what's ahead, and yet no one can see what is ahead, yet everybody is asking the question of what's ahead, right? I mean, you listen on to the news, you listen on to social media, everybody's talking about, so what's going to happen, what's going to go, it's all kinds of things, whether it's about stock market or politics, or whether it's about fashion or culture trends or the weather, or who's the Colts going to draft, that last one's kind of curious, I'm really interested in that one, uh, frankly. Let's see, at the core of the predi predictions of all this kind of stuff, by the way, Josh is the guy you want to follow if you want to know about what's going on with that on Twitter. Um, at the core of the predictions 
kind of what's going on with all of that is the hope that this coming year is going to be easier and more comfortable. That is what's behind it. You know, we're wondering what it is and is it going to be easier and more comfortable. Um, And at the core of that question for you and I, really behind how we tend to think about the coming year is 2018, is it going to be easier and more comfortable for you and I? That's just kind of the natural thing that takes place. Um, But a couple facts. The fact is, is that you and I yearn for easier, more comfortable lives. But the other fact is that at this point in redemptive history, because trust me, easier and more comfortable is coming, okay? But at this point in redemptive history, that is not the Lord's objective. That is not the Lord's goal. Regardless of what you might hear in prosperity preaching today, God's goal for you and I is not that life would be easier and more comfortable, God's goal for you and I is that we would grow in our spiritual maturity in him. That we would come to know him better, walk with him deeper, and understand him more and see him at work. That's what God is interested in in this coming year in our lives. The Lord yearns for our maturity in him. And friends, adversity reveals and grows our maturity. Okay, now with me having just said that in the start of the year, here's what's going on in some of your minds. Oh, crud. So is today going to be one of those days you're going to drag us down as we start the whole year out? Are you going to kind of be one of these like bummer drag you down guys that's like, let's talk truth and let's understand how rough life is. Listen, life's been rough in our household, maybe in yours for the last month. This is the third Sunday out of four that I'm preaching sick. And it's just like, come on, Lord, easier and more comfortable would be wonderful. Um, But listen, friends, the Lord is ultimately about our growing in him. And adversity is part of that. I want for you to know this. Today is not a drag you down day. And I say that because Psalm 118 is not a drag-you-down psalm, okay? So let's go to it here. Let's take a look at it. Psalm 118, uh, the objective of Psalm 118 is to drive our understanding of why God's people can enter life, do life, might I suggest, enter 2018 in an all-giving-thanks-to-the-Lord kind of manner. That's what Psalm uh, 118 is, is bookmarked or, or, or uh, bookended with on it. It's not theoretical mumbo-jumbo on this is why you do it just because you're supposed to. It's a very telling of truth and it's a very personal telling of, of this psalmist and the call in all of this that, listen, friends, we are to be increasingly so giving thanks to the Lord, people, and we enter the year that way. That's what we're supposed to be happening here. So Psalm 18, it begins with that. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, Psalm 118 is the last psalm I mentioned last Sunday in our five fun facts. Weren't they fun? 
five fun facts, and one of them is Psalm 118 is the last chapter of six psalms. It's called the Egyptian Hillel. Why is it called Egyptian Hillel? It's called that because of coming out of Egypt is kind of the driving history of it, really coming from Psalm 114. I think when we get into Psalm 118, it's adding in the whole rebuilding of the wall and the, and the temple and the gates and everything that's taking place. What's happening here in these psalms is Psalm 113 and 114 was sung. Uh, uh, before the Passover celebration meal, Psalms 115, 16, 17, and 18 were sung after the Passover celebration meal. They would be doing this as families. They would be doing this as people that are gathering together. As I mentioned last Sunday, this means that they were singing these psalms at the Last Supper. And, And I want for you to just consider this. Jesus, second person of the Trinity, In the hours ahead, he's going to be grabbed a hold of. He's going to have the living life crushed out of him. He's going to be murdered horrifically on a cross like a piece of meat. And and then he's going to rise again. But can you imagine at the end of this singing of this Egyptian Hillel, at that point in time, hours away from when all this is going to be going down, the beginning of it starts out, oh, give thanks to the Lord. I'm telling you, friends, this this isn't, I got goosebumps already. Awesome chapter. So let's go. Let's dive in. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Good. For his steadfast love endures forever. By the way, go to the end of the chapter. What does it say? Last verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? For his steadfast love endures forever. It starts and it ends that way. It's book-ended by this statement here. This is the core thesis of this chapter. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Uh, it's an invitation to that. Give thanks. And it's a give thanks, not just give thanks randomly, it's, but it's a give thanks to the Lord. Why give thanks? For he is good. How does anybody know when he is really, really good? We're going to find out here in just a little bit. Answer. We know when the Lord is really, really good when the Lord shows up in adversities. Oh, not only for he is good, but why is he good? Because his steadfast love endures forever. It's picking up on some of the theme of Psalm 117. By the way, uh, let's keep going here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the psalmist invites three groups of people. Verse 2, let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Then, verse 3, let the house of Aaron say, the house of Aaron. The house of Aaron, this was a priestly group. These are the shepherds of the sheep. These are the shepherds under the great shepherd that shepherd the sheep, Okay. So you have Israel, then you have the house of Aaron, and what are they supposed to say? His steadfast love endures forever. And then verse 4. Oh, not just Israel, not just the house of Aaron. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, back in that day, we could say it this way. Let Israel say this. Let, 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 let the priests, let, let the, the, the shepherds say this. Oh, and, and let everybody else, i.e. Gentiles who, who have come to know the Yahweh, let them say this as well. 
This is, a, this is such a cool thing. I have it down in your notes. Israel, it's the whole idea of the day, the whole of God's people, yet there's parts within that whole of it, and yet, I mean, I kind of term it, there's pieces of that. This is, every, this is so coming out of Psalm 117. This is the idea of the tribes and the totality in what's taking place. This is an invitation. This is an invitation to give thanks to the Lord and all God's people are, invo- are invited to be a part of what is going on to this. Now, let me just add this practically. God has never intended for his people to be soloists. And Americans, we value being soloists. We have this high thing about us. We're taught from when we're very young. Come on, dig yourself out of the hole. Come on, it's all on your shoulders. Come on, you can... We, we, we so highlight individualism and being soloists. But this is a call to be part of God's choir. God has always intended his people to be in the choir and even the thing of proclaiming his steadfast love endures forever while there's a soloing, that soloing takes place within the choir of the whole. God's people are always to be in this idea of thanking the Lord and living uh, and singing unto the Lord as a whole. Notice his steadfast love endures forever. It's stated how many times in the first four verses? Four times. Why would it do that? Uh, Emphasis, okay? Listen, his steadfast Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. How do we know that? How do we know that? I'm really, really glad you asked. Because look at verse five. Out of my distress. Okay. One of my fun facts last Sunday was many of the psalms start with a thesis. Uh, oftentimes it's the first verse, last verse. It starts with a thesis like Psalm 118 does and Psalm 117 did with praise the Lord. And it starts with a thesis and then it ends with that thesis restated. And then in the middle it describes the basis of that thesis. And in this it's, it's kind of the type of thing of like, oh, oh, so we're just to give thanks to the Lord. Well, Why? That's a great question. That is a fantastic question. There's a few answers to that question. One answer to that question is because you're told to. You know the kids? Why should I clean my room? Because uh, they told you to. That's it. <laughs> that's all that needs to be said. But that's not what's going on here. We're not being told to, to sing of the steadfast Lord forever solely because we're told to. We're not guilted in it. Listen, friends, this is what the rest of the psalm is about. The rest of the psalm puts it, is in a context, and it's telling us why we can do this. And the context of what's going on the psalmist brings to the table is the psalmist is talking about times of distress. He says there, out of my distress. By the way, look at verse 13. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. That's the context. All right, with that context in mind, I want to grab out here some truths of this. Um, and, and I'm going to pull these out. We're going to take a look at them, and hopefully, Lord will help, we'll see something that comes out of this, all right? So verses 5 through 28, 10 areas of our spiritual walk where adversity drives maturity. 10 areas of our spiritual walk where adversity drives our maturity, both as a whole, as the parts, and as the pieces. Let's start in verse 5. Out of my distress, 
Number one, I called on the Lord. I called on the Lord. I mean, the context right there just tells you what happens. You know what that is? In times of distress, in times when you're being pushed, isn't it interesting how those are the times where we just get to a point and we call on the Lord? Telling you, friends, it's just true. It's true in my life. It's true in your life. When we are in distress, we come to the end of ourselves and we come and we call out to the Lord. And that's what's being happening here. Adversity drives that in us. Secondly, hope in the Lord. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. And then look at this. And the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And what a mindset. And this is a mindset that drives an action. It's a mindset out as I call unto the Lord, and as I'm calling unto the Lord, there's this truth that comes out. The Lord answered me in this. The Lord sets me free in this. He is on my side. I will not fear. He's on my side. He is my helper. Listen, when life's going hard, isn't that a wonderful truth to know? And yet when life is comfortable, we don't push that. Because when life is comfortable, what's the need for God? But when life is hard, we are pushed to him and we see him. There is a hope in the Lord. Call out to the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Third, take refuge in the Lord. Verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord, repeat phrase, than to trust in princes. By the way, what a cool statement. Very needed today in light of what our media is so focused on, especially the news. Listen, friends. People will disappoint. Have you learned that yet? I'm not talking about the person next to you. (laughs) No, I am actually talking about the person next to you. And I'm talking about everybody else in this room. And I'm talking about everybody else outside of this room. The fact of the matter is we too often make people our idols. We make people our God. We make people the ones who are supposed to satisfy us, bring us joy and hope and happiness. And people can't do that. We become little kings and queens of our own little kingdoms and everybody around us is our own little subjects and our own little subjects are to satisfy me. That is so unfair on everybody. And and if you are single and if you are thinking that, that someday you'd like to get married and when you get married, then life will become wonderful and that person will never disappoint you. Oh, have fun, man. And if you are married and you are stunned that your spouse disappoints you, why are you stunned? If you have children or grandchildren that aren't where you would like for them to be in a relationship with the Lord or in life, why are we devastated by that? 
Why are we surprised? I do get it. Trust me, I'm not that ignorant. I get why. Yet in it, it's because we think that they will bring us meaning. And we, if we go by the text here, we take refuge in other people. And the call is to take refuge in the Lord. The Lord is the only one that will not disappoint. Oh, but he will disappoint if you are God of God. He will disappoint if you think that you are God and God serves as your God to do your bidding. That's not how it works. God is the God of you and I. And God's love will never fail. Even in times when we think that maybe it does. People will fail. By the way, with the news, princes, leaders will fail. They will fail. Listen, friends, politics is a doomed failure. And yet, I continue, you've heard me say this over the recent years, I continue to be stunned at how Christians are so buying into this whole idea that somehow politics will bring about the hope that we're looking for. Wake up. It is not found in princes. It is found in the Lord. And so in the disappointment of people, in the disappointment of politics, God never disappoints. And take refuge in him. And isn't it interesting how in times of adversity, at times of distress, and times of trial, when we kind of want to take trust in other people, when we want to take trust in the ways of our world, we get to the point where we kind of realize that, like, yeah, that ain't working too well. This is a reminder of that. The Lord allows us to experience adversity to help us remember that under his refuge and care is where it is at. Let the storms rage. Let the nations go crazy. But in the refuge of the Lord, that's where it's at. The answer is not economics. The answer is not politics. The answer is not academics. The answer is not a new relationship. The answer is the Lord. And adversity helps us see that take refuge in the Lord. Next one, number four, act in the name of the Lord. Love this, all nations surround me. It kind of sounds like adversity. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. That is such an interesting statement. I've been sitting on that one. Of all the animals, why bees? I don't know, you think it out. They surrounded me like bees. And they went out like a fire among thorns. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Please understand, the psalmist here is not making God his little kabuki casting thing. 
He is not just walking around going, in the name of the Lord. (laughs) What's going on here, we don't even know the details of the distress, so I want to be careful in it. And it could even be that he's reflecting back on all of that's taken place. But in this, the point of it is, is that in the name of the Lord, the action comes. We don't use the Lord for our bidding, but in the action that's taking place, he knows that in it, when he's, when he's taking refuge in the Lord, and the nations are surrounding him, surrounding him like beeves, surrounding him like thorns on fire all around him, that that's the time when, 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 when the thing is, is, it's like, oh God, it's not by my strength, only by your strength, right? It's when the heat's on, friends, and when the bees are buzzing, those are the times When it's like, oh God, I need you in this right now. Act in the name of the Lord. Verse five, or number five, take strength and song in the Lord. Verse 13, I was pushed hard so that I was falling. I love the fact that he describes how hard he is pushed. There's times where you're nudged, there's times where you're kind of tripped up. But this is a time that he's being pushed so hard that he's ready to collapse, right? Uh, Look at this, but the Lord helped me. Uh, What does that mean? Verse 14, he learned out of this, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Oh, cool. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song because he is my salvation. Six, recount the deeds of the Lord. Verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live. I love this. But I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. When life is going well, there's a tendency to forget how it all came about. But when we go back and we talk about things, oftentimes we talk about the things that have come out of hardship. In fact, I would suggest you go back and you take a look at the whole Egyptian Hillel. I would even suggest you go back and look at the entire Old Testament. And you will find that God's people are always coming out of adversity. Always. That is the nature of God's people, of what they're, they are people coming out of adversity. Not out of adversity on their own, not out of adversity on their strength, but out of, the ver- out of adversity, out of trials because of what the Lord has done. And then when you go through the Old Testament and you look at what the God's people again and again declare and celebrate and have feasts over, what they have feasts and celebrations over is over times when God has shown him great in adversity. I have wondered, I talked to, this, to Karen just the other day, I was, I've wondered for years and years, even when we did the book of Joshua, why is it that God just didn't clear out the land of Israel, just let him walk in and have it? He had already given it to them, but they still had to conquer it. It took them a decade plus to be able just to get settled in. Why would God do that? God did that because God is always growing his people through times of adversity. Nothing comes easy for God's people. I'm so sorry to say that. 
Because if things came easy for God's people, we wouldn't need the Lord. True? Recount the deeds of the Lord. How God has done a work through times even of our own foolishness, through times of hardship, through times of adversity. Recounting those deeds are reminders of who God is and what God has done. Number seven, learn the discipline of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. We have no idea in the psalm what he's talking about. There's no context directly right around that as to what I can gather on what he's even specifically talking about. And now, we have seen at times where uh, I think this is very possible that this is referring to God's people coming back and rebuilding the city and rebuilding the gate and God having disciplined his people by casting them out of it. And I think that's most likely what's being talked about here. But yet in it, he doesn't get so specific that we know. Yet God has disciplined me severely. But he's not given me over to death. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing we don't like to talk about, is we don't like to talk about God's discipline in them. And sometimes because we don't know that God is disciplining in it, and I don't want to go around casting around that God needs to discipline us and everything. Because I don't want to be disciplined. I don't know about you. But the Lord loves his children. And adversity sometimes includes discipline. Of him. Learn the discipline of the Lord. Number eight. To enter and marvel in the Lord. Verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Twice now entering is being talked about. Verse 21. I thank you that you've answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Whoa, so much in that. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And verse 24, a very well-known verse. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Pause. Can you imagine Jesus in the upper room with the disciples Following the Last Supper. And part of the song is, this is the day that Yahweh has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you know, within the hours to come, that you will be pummeled to the edge of death hung on a cross to die like a piece of meat with the very people that you, Colossians chapter 1, created, hating your guts and mocking you. And yet this is a day that Yahweh has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh my. Oh crazy my. Can you imagine singing those words? But he did. He did. 
This is the Lord's doing, verse 23. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Number nine, pray to the Lord. Verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Curious, just want exercise for you. As you read that verse, as an American in our world, what are you thinking when it says save us and give us success? And I want to press into you because I think you and I have the wrong understanding of success right here. Because what we do is, oh God, save us, we pray, from discomfort and from hard times. Oh Lord, we pray. Give us prosperity. Is that what's being prayed? I would say that's called Americanizing God's word. No, no, no. You see, this is deeper than this because God has something far greater than this. Save us, O Lord. O Lord, give us success. Listen, there's nothing wrong with ease. There's nothing wrong with comfort. Listen, I would suggest do not pray that God will bring great adversity this year unlike any other year. I'm telling you, I'm not praying that. I'm praying for relief. And yet in it all, the fact of the Lord, the fact of the reality is the Lord is the one who does a redeeming work, whether that's for eternity with our lives or whether that's for the moment of the time that God would shine himself and his work through our lives and that God would give us success, but not success in our eyes, not success in human eyes, but success in the Lord's eyes. Oh God, I would say, bring us maturity. Bring us the kind of growth and maturity before you that we would accomplish what you have set before us. As a church, I think we are on a pressing year. I think we have, we have, the Lord has brought us through 10 years and this is not the time to slow down. This is not the time to get lazy and fat. This is not the time to do that. This is the time to consider what the Lord has done. And Lord, we pray, would you mature us? And Lord, would you pray that you would use us increasingly so? Because, oh my, what the Lord has done, but may we not get lazy. Oh God, your success, we pray. By the way, I mentioned last week two words for me in this coming year that are just key for me personally, and just being transparent with you. Mentioned last week, one is people, more time with people. Secondly, prayer, more time in prayer. That's me this year. Oh God, I pray just more time with people and more time in prayer because my life has been so holed up in so many other things. But Lord, more time with people, more time in prayer. Save us, oh Lord, I pray. Oh Lord, I pray, give us success. Number 10, attach all glory to the Lord. Blessed is he, blessed is she who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. I love this. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Don't have time to go through that, but on the altar there are these horns. And it's like, just take that sacrifice, sacrifice right on the altar and tie it tight right to that whole thing. 
This is like getting just a deep, you, verse 28, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Man, that's so Psalm 117 from last week. Extol, I will loud you. It's not just in my heart I will be thankful alone. But it's, I will be loud so that others around know of my extolling, my loudness of praise to the Lord. Listen, all glory goes to the Lord, none to you and me. All glory goes to the Lord, none to you and me. All glory goes to the Lord. All. 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 None to you and me. All glory goes to the Lord. Bind it to him. Tie it to him. Wrap it tight to the Lord. Not to you and me. Attach all glory to the Lord. And then verse 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Adversity reveals spiritual maturity. Adversity reveals spiritual maturity. Look at the 10 areas I'd suggest up on the screens in your notes. And consider what happens when life is without adversity, when it is adversity-free. Here's some thoughts. When life is comfortable, we tend not to call out to the Lord. When life feels happy, we tend not to see the need to hope in the Lord. When life is sunny, we tend not to take refuge in the Lord. When life is, I can do this, we tend not to act in the name of the Lord. When I am strong, we tend to, take strength, we tend to not take strength and song in the Lord. When I did it, when we did it, we tend to not recount the deeds of the Lord. When we are proud, we tend to not learn the discipline of the Lord. When life is done by my ways, we tend to not enter or marvel in the Lord. When I am busy, I tend to not sit at the feet of and pray to the Lord. When we are big, we tend to not attach all glory to the Lord. And the Lord knows all that about us. And so what does a loving Lord do to people that have a hard time doing this? What does the Lord do? The Lord in his grace and his love for us, who is less interested in making life easy for us and is more interested in making us mature in him, what does he do? He pushes us and he presses us. He allows things to take place in our life 
that Psalm 118 distress us, that push us at times so hard that we feel like we're going to fall. Why does the Lord allow that? He allows that because he wants us to grow us in these kinds of areas. I have no idea what's ahead in 2018. But we enter it and we live through it giving thanks. Wait, why, Doug, you just turned a corner there because you were really depressing just a minute ago. Because that's the whole thesis of the psalm. Listen, if you get stuck in the whole idea of crud, God's going to grow me in those. I just want it easy for me. No, no, no. You're not understanding this right. No, you see, the Lord is going to push you and I. And he is going to press into you and I. And times, just straight up, he is going to lovingly distress you and I. But, but in his doing that, we understand that the Lord is allowing that to happen because the Lord wants to push us and mature us in these areas. And oh my goodness, if we can advance through the days and the weeks and the months and the year growing in these kinds of areas, I don't know about you, but I want to grow in those. And yet when I say that, I know what the Lord's going to do. He is going to press me and distress me and push me lovingly so that I would grow and mature in these. But do you see, this is where you, we're just catching. You and I are so caught into wanting to have easy, comfortable lives for ourselves. But the Lord wants something far greater than that. Because an atheist can have an easy, comfortable life to press after. We're so caught into our own personal happiness. The Lord wants something far more marvelous than that. The Lord wants to grow you and I in these areas, push you and I in these areas, see us mature so that we see him bigger, us smaller, him grander, us lesser. So that we would call out to him more and hope in him more and take refuge in him more and act in his name more and that we would take strength and song in him more and recount the deeds of the Lord more and learn the discipline of the Lord more and enter and marvel in him more and pray to him more and attach all glory to him more. And when we have that kind of understanding, we can go, oh, give thanks to God because he's going to work on that in my and your life this year. The question is, do we really want that? Am I right? Up here, I think we all go, amen. But also up here we go, easy and comfortable sounds pretty good too. But this is what the Lord yearns for you and me. This is what the Lord yearns for you and me. So we enter the year giving thanks because the Lord is going to work on us in that. Let's join him. Let's join him in it. And let's enjoy the journey. Right? And have a blast in it. Heads out the van screaming, having a blast, music cranked up. And God, we rejoice in you. 
uh, this is the type of thing, this is the type of tax, I think, and the type of idea that pushes in us hard. God, right now, I really think both within me and most all of us in this room right now, this tax, this conversation, this reality of what we're talking about pushing us because it's really causing us to ask the question, do we really want in us what you want in us? Do we really want to grow and mature in you? Or do we just want the benefits of you as we perceive them? The fact of the matter is, God, that latter option is not putting you on the throne as God. That is actually us on the throne as God, making you as our servant. And yet we wrestle to do that. I do. And you know that. So here we are together, Lord, on this path, crossing this mile marker, this chapter marker of 2018. And we can't see all what's ahead. And frankly, that's by your will. That's by your design. Because it forces us to ask the question of who we're going to trust in, who we are going to worship, and what we are going to run after. And Father, there is a day that will come that will be glorious beyond glorious. Sin and tears and adversity gone. For those who know Christ as their Savior, that is a hope we have our eyes fixed on. But in the meantime, during this time of redemptive history, here we are on this road, and it's rocky and it's bumpy. Winds come and storms hit. You are sovereign over all that. And so, God, I would pray that you would give us success in growing as a whole and as parts and as pieces in our maturity in you in this coming year. As hard as, it, as hard as it is, God, for us to kind of have open hands and giving ourselves over to you and trusting that you will take us where you want us to, knowing that some of that is going to press us and push us even to the point of where we feel like we are going to fall, that you would do that lovingly and you would do that to mature us and, God, that we would embrace that journey that you have. Because it's out of that kind of journey that we give thanks. Because your steadfast love endures forever. You will not crush us. But you do want to mold us to be more like Christ. 
So give us moldable hearts, Lord. Give us joy proclaiming hearts because you are good and you are great. In the marvelous name of Christ, we pray. Amen.